It's great to be with you this morning. Now, I want you just to understand that we live in a culture that is constantly changing, but we serve a God whose word never changes. That's the central truth I want us to get. We live in a world that is always changing, in a culture that is always changing, but we serve a God whose word never changes. Now, let me give you one example of the changes in our culture. Uh, Last Christmas, there were some billboards that were purchased, the space for some billboards uh, in different cities across the United States, and the billboards said simply this, all I want for Christmas is to skip church because I'm too old for fairy tales. With the implication being that the Word of God, the Scriptures, are nothing more than fairy tales. Now that's a shift, a change in our culture. Because in the past, people may not have read the Bible, they may not have obeyed the Bible, but at least they respected the Bible for what it was. But increasingly, we live in a culture in which the Bible is dismissed as nothing more than a fairy tale. Now, before we go on in this, I want us to understand that in this, there is no reason for despair. There is no reason for us to despair because the culture around us is changing. Because you see, we serve a God who has a perfect plan and nothing can happen that has not first passed through his hand. We can't, we can't have anything happen that he is not allowed in his providence and in his plan. And so when Eve ate that piece of fruit, God did not despair. God did not say, oh, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. They have messed up my plans. No, God had a plan then. When the people raised up and they built the Tower of Babel to try to reach God and become gods themselves, God did not despair. He had a plan. When Jesus died on the cross, God did not despair. God had a plan. And even the death of Jesus was part of God's good and glorious plan. When Christians were persecuted in the early centuries of Christianity, God did not despair. God did not wonder, what is the Roman Empire going to do? They're persecuting my people. Even that was part of God's plan to spread his word throughout the world. And do you know what? God had a plan before America ever existed. And God has a plan that will go past the time when America is nothing but an artifact in the dustbin of history. God has a plan. We don't need to despair because God has a plan. Do you realize that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they have never called an emergency meeting. There's never come a time when they have said, we don't know what we're going to do. We need to gather together and figure things out. Does it surprise you to know that nothing has ever surprised God? God knew it before it happened. God planned it. That doesn't mean he acts all things and he, or that he does all things, but he allows all things and he does it for his glory, for his purpose, and it has a place in his perfect plan. There is no reason for despair because some fools think the Bible is a fairy tale. There's no reason to despair because of that. But we live in a culture that is changing, but we serve a God whose word is never changing. But now, even though there's no reason to despair, there is a reason to prepare. We don't despair, but we do prepare. Now, what I mean by that is we need to be prepared to equip one another to be able to defend and tell why we believe 
what we believe. Now, sometimes we have a bad habit as American Christians that our only reason that we believe something is just because it changed my life or it's meaningful to me. And it's great. It is wonderful. It is good that God's word has changed our lives. We should never discount that. We should never disparage that. But see, the Christian faith is a faith that we are not only to know, but also to show. We are called not just to know it, but also to show it. And so to be able to show it, we have to prepare to give an answer to the world around us. It says in 2 Peter 3.15, be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you. Now I want to ask and answer two questions this morning. And that is, what should we believe the Bible and why should we believe the Bible? That's simple. What should we believe about the Bible, and why should we believe the Bible is true? Now, the first one is very simple. What should we believe about the Bible? Do you know what we should believe about the Bible? Nothing more or less than what Jesus believed about the Bible. That's it. Nothing more or less than what Jesus believed about the Bible. Because you see, if someone dies and rises from the dead, you ought to listen to what he has to say. Do you believe that? If somebody was once dead and then raised, raised from the dead, you ought to trust what they have to say. Because do you realize we serve a Savior who turned a graveyard into a weekend getaway? He checked into Death's Hotel on Friday afternoon, he paid the bill, and he checked out on Sunday morning alive and well. That's the God we worship. And he turned a graveyard into a weekend getaway. And so we're going to look at a text that opens a window into what Jesus believed about the Bible. Let's look at Luke chapter 24. Let's stand together in honor of God's word. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Hear these words. It says there, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And one of them stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? unaware of the things that have happened here these days. He's talking to the only man who really knows what's happened, and he asks him, do you know what's happened? And he said to him, what things? Jesus just plays along. And he said to him, those things about Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping... He was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened, and some women among us, they amazed us. When they were at the tomb early this morning, they didn't find his body. They came saying that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Uh, some of us who were with them, who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just like the women said, but they didn't find him. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. Slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. 
and they drew near to the village where they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him, say, stay with us. It's, it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those with them, saying, the Lord really has risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate what had happened on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. God, let's pray together. Oh God, we ask that your word would be made alive by your spirit. That it may reach into people's lives and show them you, your glory, your majesty. Pray God that you would speak through me that what I have to say is not my own word are the words that you have for this people in this place. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So let's imagine these two disciples and they're returning to their hometown of Emmaus. And these people have had a rough weekend. They'd gone to town thinking that there was this man, Jesus, who was going to be the one who would redeem their people from all of their captivities. And they hoped and they, that he would be the one but while they were there, the religious authorities and the Roman rulers rose up and they had him crucified. So now they're headed back home. They're walking back and they've heard these rumors that maybe he is alive. And a stranger comes up to them and says, what are these words that you're sharing among yourselves? Now, do you notice what's happened here? They have gotten so caught up in their own words that they failed to be captured by God's word. Do you see that? They've got so caught up in their own words, they have failed to be captured by God's word. And you and I do that too sometimes, don't we? Where we get and we play the same words over and over in our head and we wonder what we're going to do and we wrestle with it and we discuss it and we're doing everything except turning to God's word. We're captured by our own words instead of being captured by God's word. And that's these people right here. They were caught up in their own conversation and they saw God's word in front of them. They didn't recognize him because they were caught up in their own words instead of captured by God's word. Now, what is revealed here, though, about what Jesus thought about the Bible? There are four things that are revealed here about what Jesus thought about the Bible. Number one, Jesus believed that the Bible came from God. He believed that the Bible came from God. You see, he says in verse 26 that these things that the Bible says are necessary. He says in verse 44, these things must be so that it says in the Bible. Why is it that what it says in the Bible, he says it is necessary that it happens? It must be so. It's because he knows that the Bible is no mere human creation. He knows that this is a book that comes from God. Yes, human beings wrote the Bible, but God worked in them and through them so that every word that they wrote was the word that God designed and inspired. Every one of them. We use the word for this of 
inspired or inspiration. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God. And you wonder, what on earth does it mean that the Bible is God-breathed? Well, I can show you really quickly. You do this with me. Everybody here, just take in a deep breath and breathe out. You know what? When it says that it's God-breathed, just as your breath goes into your innermost part and comes out of your innermost self, the Bible comes from the innermost being of who God is. When we say that the Bible is inspired, that's what we mean. The Bible comes from the innermost being of who God is. Now, there's all different types of writings in the Bible. There's poetry and prophecies that use figurative language. There's history that just tells it like it is. All these different parts in the Bible, but all of them are inspired by God, God's Word in human words. And we believe that the Bible came from God because Jesus believed the Bible came from God. The second thing we see here is that Jesus believed the Bible was trustworthy. Jesus believed that the Bible was trustworthy. Look carefully at verse 25. Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish and slow or dull of heart. Now, do you notice here Jesus completely missed the lesson on how to build self-esteem in your students? Do you see that? He just says to them, You are foolish and you are dull in your hearts. You are slow to understand. But why does he say that? Because he says you didn't believe what the prophet said. You didn't trust what was in the Bible. You didn't believe it, and therefore you are foolish foolish, and dull of heart. Now notice something here. Jesus, throughout his ministry, he corrected his disciples. He contradicted the religious leaders and the theologians of his day. But Jesus never once contradicted or corrected the Bible. Why? Because he believed that it was trustworthy and true. He completed its plan and he quoted it with absolute confidence because he believed that these words were absolutely true. Jesus believed that. You want to follow Jesus? Follow what he thought about the Bible. He believed that the Bible was trustworthy. It is a beautiful tapestry of different genres of literature, and yet it never fails to tell the truth. And we believe that the Bible is trustworthy because Jesus believed the Bible is trustworthy. The third thing we see here is Jesus believed the Bible was all about himself. Look what he says in verse 27. He says in verse 27, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in part of the scriptures. No, in all the scriptures, throughout the scriptures. We see an echo of that down in verse 44, a little bit later. He said, these are my words that I spoke to you when I was with you, that all things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's his way of referring to the whole Hebrew Old Testament, must be fulfilled. And you realize what Jesus is saying here, just mind-boggling if you think about it. He is talking to these faithful Jewish people here, and he is saying to them, this book that was inspired over more than a thousand years, God inspired it. It's all about me. It's all about me. The whole thing, all about me, Jesus says. And if it weren't for the fact that the man has by this point predicted his death and died, predicted his resurrection and lived, and walked through a wall or two. Except for that, they'd probably be saying, well, you know what, you're so vain, you probably think this book is about you. That's what he said. They think, you're, you're arrogant in this. You're arrogant. How could you possibly say that this is about you? 
But Jesus showed it was about him through his death and his resurrection. Now, Scripture is one grand and beautiful story. And you see, it's not just a a few things here and there that tell us about a few parts of history. What this is, is one grand and beautiful story. And it's a God who decides to create a world and establish a kingdom in this world. And he sets up Adam and Eve, and they fail to fulfill the covenant and the kingdom that God created for them. And Noah fails, and then over and over, Israel fails, and people fail and fail and fail and fail all the way through the Old Testament. That then makes us lean with eager expectancy, saying, somebody's got to come to save us and he gave a hint of that in genesis 3 that he said somebody's going to come to crush the serpent's head and you're leaning forward to the old testament because you see all these failures and you know that somebody has got to break this cycle of failure and finally jesus comes and he does it he does it but not only does he live the perfect life that you and i should have lived and all those in the old testament should have lived do you know what else he did he did the unthinkable He took on himself the punishment for the fact that you and I and all those who trusted him in the Old Testament didn't fulfill the covenant. He takes it all on himself and then he conquers it by shattering death and rising from the dead. This is one story in the Bible with one hero. The Bible is not a string of clever quotes to support your agenda or mine. It is God's story about a kingdom that is not mine. And if we forget that truth, that the Bible is one big story and it's all about Jesus, then we end up treating the Bible like trail mix. Now, I'll tell you, with well, some of my children and I, we got this good deal going on with trail mix. I don't like M&Ms or sunflower seeds. They don't like nuts and raisins. So we just split it. We each take what we want. And we're all satisfied because of the fact, or at least we're all pleased in the moment, because they get what they want and I get what I want. And some people treat the Bible that way. They want to pull out one part and say, I'll take this part and you take that part and we'll just all divvy it up and be happy with it. But the Bible is not like trail mix. You see, the problem with trail mix is it doesn't satisfy you. Have you ever said to your spouse, said, honey, do you remember about two years ago we went to Speedway? And we got that one bag of trail mix. And I just can't wait. That was such a memorable moment. And I can't wait till we can have some of that trail mix again. Why? Don't you do that? Because trail mix doesn't satisfy you. You see, the Bible is more like the best and greatest multi-course meal you have ever had in your life. And the center, the main course of this whole meal is what God has done in Jesus Christ. That's the main course of it. That's the main thing, the central part of this. That's it right there. You can't pick or choose. You take it all or not at all. Now, we see this around us in our culture all the time. One example I've just seen in the past couple of weeks is somebody put and said, well, you know what? How can you possibly believe that homosexual activity is sinful? Because there's texts in there right beside that in the Old Testament have to do with shellfish and a half dozen other things. Anybody heard that before? We've heard that before in that. And the problem when somebody is reading that is they, aren't read, they are trying to read it in pieces instead of as a whole. Because you see what's happening in that, that law was given. The laws in the Old Testament were given for Israel to point them toward Jesus and they were fulfilled in Jesus. And you know what? They might have a leg to stand on if the only place that were mentioned was in the Old Testament. But it's not. 
You see, Jesus has some beautiful things to say. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 19. He says, God created the male and female, and there's two ways for people who follow him, either marriage or celibacy. He calls it units for the kingdom. But he's saying either marriage or celibacy. Those are the two ways that we can go and honor God. But here's what's most important in this. Paul lets us know in the big picture of the Bible the reason for that. He said it's because a husband and wife joined to one another is meant to be a mirror, a picture, an image of Jesus Christ and his love for the church. You see, we don't have the freedom to mess with certain things or change certain things because in the big picture of the Bible, we understand that we can't mess with that. We can't change that. And the reason we're not is not because we're not loving people. It's because God has given us a beautiful image of what he means marriage to mean in Jesus Christ and the church. And he calls us to live for that and live within that. But see, we have to see the Bible as a whole story then. We have to recognize that when God created Adam and Eve, God already had a plan in mind that he said, this that I'm doing with Adam and Eve right now, there will come a time in the future that that's going to point to my son and his love for the church. That's what it's going to point to. It's one big story, and we can't pick and choose in it. We live in a culture that's changing, but we serve a God whose word never changes. We never changes. And Jesus is the center of the story. Anybody here under the age of 12? Anybody here? Raise your hand if you're under the age of 12. I see some of you. Can you all do an activity with me? Can you? To show the big story of God? Can anybody do that with me? Let me see you do this with your hands if you're under the age of 12. 12 or under, okay? You can do it older if you want, okay? Because what you're going to do is teach the adults how to do this. They're going to do it in a little bit, okay? So if you're at 12 or under, the adults are going to do it soon. You just got to show them. Do this with me, okay? You do this with me? And say after me, God made the world good. Y'all good? Sin made the world groan. Jesus broke the power of sin. And God is making the world new. Now, can y'all adults do that with them? Can you do that? Let's do that together. We're going to learn God's big story, and then we're going to talk about how that fits here. God made the world good. Sin made the world groan. Jesus broke the power of sin. And God is making the world new. And do you know what's happening is that God is calling people into that. Isn't that awesome? God is calling you to be part of the new making of his world. That's God's big picture story. That's the whole story of God right there. And do you know what's central? Is that Jesus broke the power of sin. Jesus freed us so that we don't have to live within the power of sin. Jesus freed us from that. And that's why Jesus could say with absolute confidence, do you know what? This whole book is about me. Jesus believed that the whole book was about him. And you and I should believe that as well. We believe that this book is about Jesus. So we've seen that Jesus believed the Bible came from God. He believed it was trustworthy. He believed that it was all about himself. And last of all, he treated the Bible as a tool to transform lives. Jesus treated the Bible as a tool to transform people's lives. I love what happens in this text right here. If you look at verse 25, it says in verse 25, Jesus says, You're slow of heart or dull in heart. 
But if you go down to verse 32, it says, they said to one another, weren't our hearts burning? You see, they went from dull hearts to burning hearts. And what was happening in between there? Jesus explained the scriptures to them. Do you see that? They went from a dull heart to a burning heart because they heard what the scriptures had to say. Scripture is a tool to transform people's lives. And if we go in through the rest of this text, do you know what happens? They run to Jerusalem and they meet with the eleven. And then before the chapter is over, they are sent out to the whole world to bring together people from every nation to trust in Jesus. That's where they're sent in this. And still today, do you realize that we follow the same pattern today We gather together, we hear God's word, we break bread, and we go out to the world with our hearts on fire. Why? Why do we do this? It's because we know that it's through the word of God that lives are transformed. We know that. We believe that. And do you know what? If we're not transformed when we read the scriptures, we're missing the point. We're like the Pharisees. They studied Scripture and studied Scripture and studied Scripture, but when Jesus stood in front of them, they didn't see it. They didn't see it being fulfilled, and they would rather send him to the cross than to think through and rethink what they believed about what they wanted out of the Bible. We're not transformed. We've missed the point. But the Bible reveals who we are. It reveals your warts, your wickedness, and all. It reveals it all. And through it, God transforms us. And so we believe the Bible is true because Jesus believed the Bible was true and he's not in the tomb right now. You find me somebody else that's not in the tomb right now, I might be willing to listen to them if they offer a challenge. But if you've not been in the tomb and out of the tomb, I am not going to listen to you when you cast out on God's word. I'm not going to listen to you. I'll listen to somebody who's been in there, who has died, and who has come back to life. That's who I'm going to listen to about the Bible. That's who I'll listen to. And so we treat the scriptures as this text, this beautiful text that Jesus believed it was from God and trustworthy, transforming of lives, and all about Jesus. Now, of course, the Bible that Jesus used was the Old Testament. We might think, well, what about the New Testament? What about that? Do you realize something? The standard among the earliest Christians about what books were in the New Testament You get stuff, all sorts of stuff on TV, that it was Constantine and politics and all that. Let me tell you, according to what history actually records, the early Christians, how they chose the books that are in the New Testament. Do you know how it was? Every one of them had to be traced back to somebody who personally encountered the risen Lord Jesus or somebody who was closely associated with them. You see, you still believe it because you believe Jesus. And so if you go to Matthew, for example, that was one of Jesus' disciples, wasn't it? He was with Jesus. If you go to Mark, Mark got his stories from Peter because he traveled with Simon Peter. Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, he was with Paul who encountered and saw Jesus on the Damascus Road. John, who wrote John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in Revelation, he walked and talked personally with Jesus. And you get the letters of Paul, the man who saw Jesus on the road. We've got James and Jude written by half-brothers of Jesus who trusted him him later and you've got the letters of peter written by peter and hebrews nobody knows for sure who wrote that but they do know this it mentions timothy and because it mentions him it was connected to paul from the earliest stages every book in the new testament goes back to somebody who knew jesus personally who saw him who saw him now i want us to understand and think through what this means for us 
Because we do indeed live in a culture that keeps changing, but we serve a God whose word never changes. So what should you do? What should you do? I want to ask you to do four things with your Bible. Simple things. Number one, love it. Love it. Not the paper and stuff itself. Because if I loved it, that'd be bad. I just dropped it on the ground. Not the paper and all that itself. Nothing like that. But love the word, the message that's in it. Love the Bible. Learn to love it. Are you loving it? Are you more excited about then about football or Facebook or your favorite movie? About the Bible. Love it. This book, thousands of people throughout the ages have died to preserve this book for you and me. They died for that. Love this book. Secondly, read it. Read it. And I'm going to put two things together. Read it and pray it. Now, I just got to be totally, I just confession right here. I don't always want every single morning to read the Bible, okay? I don't every single morning. Now, I'd ask for a show of hands, but I'd have two things. Well, the people have their hands down, I know they're not telling me the truth, okay? <laughs> All right? So I don't want to reveal anybody that way. But I don't think any of us every single morning wants to read this book. We don't. We don't. But we go to it because we love it and we know we need it. And here would be my encouragement to you. If you aren't reading the Bible, simply read a chapter every morning and then pray that chapter. So if you're praying this text that we read where Jesus said, oh, you are foolish and dull in heart, you can say, God, I am so foolish and dull in heart in so many ways. God, show me. And if you read this text where it says Jesus showed them and all the law and the prophets about himself, that God, when I read the Old Testament, show me, show me you. When you read about their hearts burning, you say, God, make my heart burn for the things your heart burns for. Read it and pray it and then live it. Just that simple. Love it, read it, pray it, live it. Live it. And what I mean by that is you say to yourself and to the world, I don't care what this book says to do, I'm going to follow it no matter what it costs me. I will follow what this says. I will follow it. And maybe that you're here this morning, you're not a believer in Jesus, you're just not sure if you've ever trusted in Jesus. And I just want to, if you're in that situation, I want to just urge you and encourage you right now and help you understand the state that you're in at this moment. When you hold the Bible, if you're an unbeliever, you are like a man in a deep, dark cave holding a treasure map to the treasure of a lifetime. And here's what I mean by that. He's got everything in his hands he needs to find everything he could ever dream of, but he can't see it because he has no light. He has no light. And it may be that you read the Bible and you feel that. And let me just tell you something. Only if the Holy Spirit opens your heart will this be able to make sense to you. And so I would ask you, if you are not sure you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you go to God and you just beg Him and say, God, by Your Spirit, please give me light. Open my eyes that I may understand Your Word and read it and explore it. Go into it deeply, and seek out God and beg Him to make it make sense to you. And I would urge you also simply to consider that there is a tomb, there is a grave, and it is empty. And that like no other religion, Christianity has its footprint in history of a man who was once buried and he is no longer alive. And people not only died for him, but those who would have known if he had been making up, if this had been made up, they died for it. They died for it. 
And there's reason to believe, good reason to believe, in what he had to say and what he taught. So our culture has said to us, it's all a fairy tale. It's just a fairy tale. I just want to skip it this year because I'm too old for fairy tales, and yet what in truth is happening is the culture around us is telling itself a fairy tale. It's telling itself a fairy tale that we can somehow ignore the scriptures and still have a full and free and flourishing life. But we can't apart from God's word. But do you know what? As I said, we do not have to despair because time will tell that this is no fairy tale. Time will tell that this is no fairy tale. This book stood before our culture ever began to change, and it will outlast the rise and the fall of all the kingdoms of the earth. It will outlast them. And it will outlast them because it is a reflection and a testimony of one who is alive, and he himself, he says this testifies to him, and he is alive, and he will not let his word die or return void. To God be the glory. Amen.